0: They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole. We found. Get ready. It's time again to venture down the rabbit hole into the world of cybersecurity. You're plugged into the podcast for security leaders and practitioners with a business sense prepare for unique interviews insights and practical advice that makes your job just a bit easier and now please welcome your guides on this adventure James Jardine and the white rabbit Luz.
1: All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Down the Security Rabbit Hole to yet another edition of the podcast, the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. You've got us on uh, episode, I think, 546 now, uh, if I'm counting correctly. Uh, We've got the one and only Mark Simos back in, and uh, James, you're here. James, you're wearing a hoodie. What the hell?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. It rained here yesterday, so it brought the cold air with it. So, yeah, it's chilly. We dropped back into, like, the 60s or 70s. hoodie time again (laughs) man it it, it was it wasn't that bad uh it's been it hit 41 degrees
1: overnight and it's gonna be in the 40s for a couple days which is crazy uh it's in the 60s right now outside but uh don't tell the flowers and trees that because everything is just yeah (laughs) so but it's a it's a balmy 66 degrees in my office here and it's (laughs) kind of
0: i know well we've
2: been we've been having close to like 80 degree weather and then all of a sudden that rain comes through and it drops at like 20 degrees bam right
1: yeah i feel it all right folks uh i'll introduce to you mr mark simos who is no stranger to the podcast he's been on a couple of times we've had him live from uh, a microsoft event and then another event and i, I don't know how many times you've been on the show mark but enough uh, <laughs> you've been here a few times uh how you doing man
3: uh doing great man just uh you know staying busy trying to push the limits and uh, make people think different you know
1: that's uh, that's, what oh, like that's what we're That's what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Differently, nicely, so, <laughs> grammatically correctly. <laughs> nice lead into your own thing. Excellent. So you uh, and folks, I'm going to post this into the show notes, which I all I'm confident you all read. And by the way, if you're still listening to this on the old Libsyn feed, uh, hopefully your show auto updated. Your RSS feed are auto-updated, but we are on a dtsr.buzzsprout.com. Move the podcast over. Uh, and about 60 65% of you have moved over. Uh, will the rest of you please hurry the hell up so I don't have to carry two subscriptions? Thanks. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Let's 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 talk about uh, what we we're going to talk about today. Um, Mark put out... If you, if you don't follow Mark on LinkedIn, you probably should. Uh, back on the 7th, uh, so a whopping three days ago... Uh, You took on uh, Anton's uh, uh, now world-famous Debating a Sim uh, in 2023 uh, uh, article, and you've you've hit a topic that is near and dear to me, uh, and that is the notion of tool-centric versus uh, goal-centric discussions on security tooling, Uh, more specifically in the ops space, because Operations is such a difficult thing. If It's so easy to, uh, let's say, screw up or, or tool in the incorrect way. Tell me about why, like, sort of give us the synopsis of the article, then we'll kind of dive in.
3: Yeah, so um, I kind of got a little bit uh, triggered and whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, come on, not another tool discussion, right? <laughs> and in one of the things that we've been uh, working on a lot, and actually over the past three, four months, I've been, you know, Taking all the stuff I've been gathering, and of course gathering some more best practices and learnings, and putting them all into this, you know, big um, uh, day, day and a half total. Um, you know, if you do it all at once, but you know, spread over three days, often workshop, right? Where we cover how do you think about SOC in today's day and age, right? And so, um, a big thing, and what I started uh, going through on the article there is you know, ultimately we need to stop thinking bottom-up. We can't, I mean, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of shiny objects, there's attacks, there's tools, there's, ooh, there's this, there's that. But we've got to start thinking top-down, not bottom-up. Like, what are we actually trying to do? Why is someone funding ASOC, right? What is the thing that actually helps reduce business risk and makes it a worthwhile investment from a leadership perspective? And so, you know, we've been really kind of looking at it through that lens and, you you know, just started with the, you know, security successes and attackers' failure, what is the soccer part to play in it and then started going through and talking about okay now where do the tools fall in to support those things um and so that's that's kind of what the article uh covers uh there and i've got a few more queued up that i'm working on now so
1: wrap you muted you're on mute i am on mute in fact um <laughs> 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 I, I, i'm learning um one day i'll get this right kids but you talked about tool-centric versus outcome-centric uh, approaches. In in the time I spent advising CISOs, I probably had an unfortunate mix, which is about 50-50 of uh, CISOs that I would spend time with that I say, okay, what is your current strategy and let's talk about evolving it. And the slide I would get would be a list of products, right? And my first reaction is, that's not a strategy. (laughs) That's a bunch of tools. Uh, But it seemed to be the groups that did that, or the CISOs that ended up in that sort of unfortunate situation, were um, one of two categories. The first one was probably on the less mature side, right? The the people that were new in their roles. They Mm -hmm. came up from the the stock, they came up from the security ranks, and They thought in a they had a role that was based on a bunch of tools. Uh, That's how they learned. So they brought that approach with them. The other one was when budgets were super tight in organizations that had super tight budgets, because Mm -hmm. I think that forced them to go, okay, I can only afford like three things. What can I get? What can I get? Right? Is is that aligned with kind of how you your experience?
3: Yeah. I think those two things also feed off of each other a little bit because, you know, when you're, when you lack funding, you also don't get a chance to go to conferences, training, mix and mingle with your peers and sort of, you know, take the wisdom and lessons learned and all that. And, you know, I mean, today it's a little bit different because you do have, you know, phenomenal CISOs and advisors that are available on podcasts for those that are doing it. And so there's a lot of information at a no cost level, but yeah, we still do run into that. And and some of it is, some of it is like literally tool centric like you said where it's a list of tools and some of it is i know that's not right but i don't know how to do it from the other end right, right. like so they instinctively understand the limitations of it but they haven't yet gotten the language the frameworks all the things they need um to drive success in that space um so how they much, really just don't know how to come to it from the top go ahead
2: how much like the speed to roi if you even get that plays a part in that as well right because if You're looking at providing solutions. A tool is typically, while there is implementation time, it's a quicker win versus the time it takes to actually say, what are the outcomes we're trying to get? How are we going to go, right? Like there's a lot more lead time to set that up. And then maybe there's a tool that involved with that, but you can show a quicker response by just implementing a tool in a lot of cases. Does that drive a lot of that? Hey, I have to show something. here. I can't come in and spend the first year strategizing and not doing anything tools give me that quick win for that
3: yeah i mean it's it's the the classic tension i guess in my mind between uh vision and execution right like you need to have a clear vision you need to know where you're going after what's your long term your north star but you also need to be able to execute on every day and if you lack you know vision you're just wandering around right and if you lack execution you're just pontificating in an ivory tower so i think it's just you know kind of i think you're right but you know, I think there's also, you know, when you think about it, like if, if you're not strong at being able to, to talk to business leaders, you may not be able to come up with things that feel concrete and show progress through metrics and so, through other familiar things. And so you may lean on a tool because it's a concrete thing that you can say, Hey, we got this. Right. So there's, I think there's like a lot of different flavors for how that comes in, but I think that's one part of it.
1: I wanted to tell you that I think a lot of the uh, tool centric discussion comes from how we used to, and this is me growing up in this industry, collect metrics on what we did, right? So the, the tools that could give you decent metrics are the ones that, that, that curried favor, uh, in, in the, uh, in, in, the, um, in the strategy. Um, and I guess there's something to be said too. For the way we've become uh, an industry or, or a profession rather, in that a lot of our, a lot of our profession, a lot of our industry, our trade shows, uh, our webinars, our t- learning comes from vendors. And so you have people have favorites. People have things that they enjoy that they're good with. And you see it in. Uh, you know, you see it in, in job postings, you see, it must have expertise and that, 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 that very few, we've, you know, very few of these have now gotten much better, but I think overall, again, it's kind of a mix, but I I would love to say hire people that have this strength, this capability, this capability can think like this, but it's not that it's must know Splunk must know defender must know blah, 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 blah. You're like, okay, but what's, what are you trying to do? What did that do for you? And I, and you know, I, look, I love this graph that you put in. And that's why I asked you about this earlier. The SecOps psych, tooling and data spectrum, um, where on one side, and you guys got to go check this out. It's on, it's in the link. But uh, on one side, you've got the raw and processed, right? And as it becomes, uh, so when you go from reference and context, big giant pools of raw and processed data to investigating, actually being able to have actionable insights. It's highly processed. It's much less of that data. Um, And you have to allow uh, tools to have a space in that conversation, but they can't drive that conversation, I think. And I think that's evident by how you've you've created those labels underneath there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's one
3: of the things is like, you know, just to I'll do a macro thing and then I want to talk about the diagram. But like when I look at our industry, we've been at this for 10 to 20 years at most organizations, 30 to 40. If you sort of cap it out and get really, really creative about the, the beginnings <laughs> of it,
1: like the 80s, I think right? 40 might be generous, but okay.
3: Yeah. But I mean, I mean, there was still, there was, you know, the classification levels and this and that, and, you know, from the DOD. Okay, so okay. there was some thinking, but it's foundational, right? And so when you compare that to like building architecture or materials engineering or any of that other stuff that literally has centuries, if not millennia, of history to it. We are babies in this information security industry. Yes, we can borrow from military conflict, we can borrow from economics, we can borrow from a lot of others. But combining all these together into a completely changing problem as the attackers figure out new things over the next, you know, uh, days, weeks, months and years, like we we're at the very very beginning of the industry even still. Right? Yeah, we've got people that have decades of experience, but you know, we're still brand new. Like we've been learning from each other, we've been learning from tool vendors. I mean, the standards, when there are some, they all conflict in the same space. And then there's nothing on privileged access, but there's 10,000 things on patching, right? And they're all worded differently depending on the standard, right? So we're still in the early days of sort of figuring this stuff out. So that I always look at it kind of in that perspective and then, you know, try and apply that then when you go to, okay, security operations, let's ask the hard questions no one has. And said, I just sat in the seat. What do I do? How do I make this work and work for the next 5, 10 years and work effectively?
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think um, some of this is much made much harder by how we market um, incoming hate mail, uh, the technologies we have. Because if we were a little bit more honest about what everything does, the number of categories would dramatically decrease, right? Um, We wouldn't have 75 ways of saying endpoint protection, Um, you know, like cloud security should be a thing like, but it's such, such down to the macro level. And it feels like everybody, you know, like the classic, right? Everybody wants to differentiate. So they create their own marketplace and they create their own little acronyms and all that, which is great. But I think ultimately, the thing that you're trying to drive to is figure out what you want to do, figure out which of the buckets and categories help you do that, and then figure out what tools are underneath that. When in reality, there's almost like a <laughs> the mapping should be one to very many, where it's the map the it's one to few, right? In the in these these Gartner or Forrester or IDC or whatever, pick a. Um, pick a, pick a friend, uh, spaces. Yep. And I think it becomes really, really interesting. Do you think, do you figure that there's a little bit of blame? I don't know I say blame, do you, uh, responsibility maybe on the marketing side for, for where we are right now in, in this, in this conundrum?
3: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of like dropping blame on people or different things, especially when they're following the natural incentives of the space. The, the thing that I I'm actually holding out the most hope for you know I'll kind of answer it in like a future forward kind of way is what I'm starting to see happen because we've always we've had regulators that's been the one big bat outside of the attackers themselves right to make things mm-hmm. go better but now we're starting to see insurance carriers say hey if you don't do MFA your premiums are going to be 10 20x or whatever the, the ratio is right and so the, there's, you know, and, and insurance has a huge part to play, I think, in changing the dynamics and the power structure to enforce and make people do the right thing, hopefully in the right order, again, in perfect early days. But like I hold out a lot of hope for that because that's something that we've been missing for a very long time is having a player out there that can enforce that in aggregate, not just to put out a standard, but to actually put some financial adaptable kind of teeth into it. Um, to make people do the right thing because, you know, it's costing collectively them as opposed to one customer that can justify an incident and say, oh, it was a bad day.
2: Yeah. Do those, do those regulations and even insurance, are they high enough level to where it's getting to the point where it's not tool centric? Or do those also play sort of a part in saying, oh, you have to have these type of tools so to go and meet those requirements? I got to go drop these tools, right? And there's less focus on the higher level strategy and more focus on, am I meeting these checkbox tools that they're saying we need to have out there?
3: I don't, I don't follow the insurance industry really closely on that. I've just sort of seen the effects of it hitting, but from what I can see, they are learning and they're learning fairly fast and they're starting with some of the, the bigger, more obvious ones like MFA and the like. Um, and so I would expect that they're going to get better and better at it, and they're going to be looking at it from an outcome-centric because they really don't care about the tools when you think about it. They care about did you get breached or not? How bad was it, right? Because that affects the payout that they have to pay out, and then what are the factors that make that more or less likely? So they're sort of the the rational actor and aggregate um, that has teeth um, as opposed to, hey, we got a standard out the door. We don't have to look at it for another three years kind of you know standard regulation. Right.
2: I feel like sometimes though we get caught trying to make these changes, right, to maturing mm-hmm. to different ideas, right? I think about this when we we talked about antivirus years ago. You know, and a lot of people, you know, just antivirus antivirus and then it was, oh, well we've got kind of this new generation of antivirus that's not blacklist specific, like they have different ways of doing it, but it's hard to get people to switch because you know, regulation or PCI or something says, hey, you have to have antivirus. And we we don't call it antivirus, you know, like that stuff. It's hard to get people to kind of switch off of that when, hey, this is what we've known. This is what we're doing. We spent all this time doing it. But now I want to go to something that may be better, maybe not better. I don't know, but maybe better. But how do we make that switch? Because if we do that now, all of a sudden, you know, we had these legal discussions, you know, did we do reasonable security, what everybody else is doing? Like, everybody's doing AV. We're doing this next generation thing. Does that land us in hot water? Like, there's that kind of push yeah. and pull there, I think.
3: And I think the regulations are starting to get better. Because if you look 10 years ago, there was almost everything was like a how regulation. of specific control, you had to configure a certain thing this way, this, that, and the other. But, like, the big one that I noticed anyway, that was sort of like a watershed moment was GDPR you have to do these things as an outcome. Like you have to report this, you have to have these kind of things. You have to report it to these people. Like it wasn't about a specific control. It was the outcomes that you're trying to drive to. And I think New York state, I think also had um, some regulations along those same lines. I can't remember exactly. I I try to avoid compliance when I can. Um, But like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some movement in that direction where people are starting to think outcome driven, which I think will help. But again, we've got, you know, 80, 90% of the 10, 20 year history that is just baked into the old way. And it takes a long time to change. And what all, well, you said I was compliant before I'm not compliant. Now you have to give people notice and then you have 200 different regulatory bodies that have to do that. So, I mean, it's going to take a, a little bit, I think, before we get there. Mark
1: you do reference architectures. Okay. Yep. Uh, and I, and I, I love following your stuff because you, you always have such an eloquent way of describing where things belong and what they should look like. Um, When I think about a, a chief information security officer, a CSO, CISO, security leader, whatever, putting together a strategy for security operations, uh, an operating plan. Yep. I would look at the reference architecture model, right? Like look, look at the processes. The SOC will be doing, look at the operation steps. And then from there you start to fill in the names of the technologies, not the products, but the names of technologies that go into those little fields into those areas, right. And kind of cascade that down and where eventually you get to go, Oh, it's one of these four products and let's figure out which one's the best, but is Is there enough, but you are, but one man, sir. Is there enough standardized um, logical reference architecture out there for SOC that is being, now here's the key, that's being broadly enough used at the right levels to drive that? So I think first you need to have it and then it has
3: to be used, right? Because you can't use it unless it exists. So one of the things that I spend a decent amount of my time doing is I work um, uh, with the Open Group. So um, uh, that's where the Jericho Forum was hosted. They actually standardized Unix a long time ago and a bunch of other stuff. A million years ago, yeah. Yep. Um, And so the the thing that I'm doing over there, I'm the Zero Trust Architecture co-chair of the the Zero Trust Architecture Forum. Um, Sorry, long titles. Um, And so one of the things we're doing there is we're standardizing zero trust, right? And so we put out the zero trust commandments. Hey, here's the guidelines, you know, what is and isn't zero trust, et cetera. Um, And that's a broad view of zero trust, not the access control sort of first priority, but the overall here's how it's going to change everything. And then uh, the one that we're working on getting wrapped up now, so it'll be out in the next month's timeframe. I don't know if it's going to be three or six. It takes a little bit to get standards out. is to basically define, here are the capabilities you need across security. These are the durable outcomes that regardless of tools, technology, people, process that are enabling them, these are the constant durable capabilities that you need to provide um, across security. And so in the SOC area, we defined, I wanna say it was about 15 or 20, give or take. Um, I made a chart table in, the, in that um, workshop I was mentioning earlier that maps in the Microsoft capabilities to kind of link the two and show how it becomes real. But you know, we define things like instant response, threat hunting, detection engineering, um, purple and red teaming, um, all those kind of things that you need to provide on an outcome basis, and you know, and including the—I uh, can't remember if we use the exact names—but basically SIMS or XDR, all these kind of capabilities as as far as a technical enablement um, to do that, so that we could have that. And then of course, the next step after defining the capabilities will be, you know, the reference architectures for these things and how they fit together, integrate, et cetera.
1: I can already hear the, the center saying, well, that you're a Microsoft guy, clearly everything's going to be Microsoft centric. Um, is, is this, is this something that we can count on being, uh, I want to say technology agnostic enough. Can we make it technology agnostic enough as when vendor it's sponsored agnostic, by yeah. or put together by a single vendor? Because I, I want to I head that off at the pass because I oh, know so, that it's, so it's
3: Yeah, so this is, this is me as one of, I'd say about ultimately 15 or 20 folks that are working on it and seven or eight are pretty active um, that are putting this together, compare and contrast, pushing back against each other. I mean, this is, there is, I, I, there's no mention of Microsoft technology and it's not, made to sell Microsoft technology it talks about things that we don't have, like case management tools and the like, or, you know, the Sentinel-1 isn't that great. It's decent, but it's not great. Um,
1: you know, <laughs> Do like I have to edit the, that out later, or are you going to disappear if <laughs> I, I look there? That. I'm a
3: non of guy, right? Um, but ultimately, you know, the intent of that is to define exactly what you said, because even as a vendor, as Microsoft, it's holding us back that our customers don't know what they want, what they need. And so it's to our benefit to actually contribute to that. And we have a bunch of other folks, some uh, folks that retired from IBM and some other places, that are in there, you know, making sure that it is complete and makes sense. And that's you know more uh, than just SOC; it's the whole thing. It's it's identity, it's governance, you name it.
1: Yeah. And so this is the uh, this is the the challenge, and, and I I I'm glad the effort's happening. I'm looking forward to the out the, the big outcome of it because there are and you know, there's the old xkcd comic right where we say hey there's too many standards people get together and <laughs> they create another standard um what we don't need is another new something that is niche uh that fits that people kind of scoff at and build then go build their own as yep. industry has enough problems without having to bring that that problem in um yeah, and that's, I, that's why we actually took
3: that outcome angle okay because that's missing an in industry there is I have found nearly zero stuff that actually defines outcomes. I mean, even trying to find a list of what are the roles in cybersecurity is a nightmare, right? Like just there, there isn't stuff out there that just defines these things simply.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I, I wish there was, I wish there, this kind of stuff existed earlier. I guess we had to go th- we've got to go through all these pains um, and, and, and issues that we've got in, 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 in the broad field before, people start agreeing to, to, to standardize and everybody not to do their own thing. Cause there are, look, look at, look at endpoints technology, right? Look at the way we, we treat endpoints. There are no less than a dozen ways that I can probably think of to define the various different types of endpoint uh, capabilities in terms of defensive posture and defensive technology Th- that doesn't help anybody trying to figure out how to protect their endpoints. Right. It, The acronyms, the the different things we call technology, the different capabilities. Like, what does an endpoint need to be able to do? Stop it. Like, look at the NISP, CSF. Protect, uh, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Like, we need, like, those should be the five things that they could do. But by the way, you also want to do asset tracking, update, like software pushes and updates, identity something or other, like all these things that belong there. And if you try to, like, if you try to go out and either you know do a web search for technologies that will that will settle the, the 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 answer on what do I put on my endpoints, there is nothing good that's out there that defines that for you in a way that doesn't say, by the way, it's my product and then my other product and then oh yeah, this other partner of ours. It just doesn't exist in a meaningful way. I'll, I'll say I'll say it doesn't exist in a meaningful way.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it goes a little bit to the maturity thing, but the other thing is our industry, I mean, cybersecurity is hard. Like it's insane. (laughs) Like we've got stuff from 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. If you count all the OT stuff and the, you know, all the way back to steam powered things that these 1970s and eighties electronics are still controlling that got updated to talk to IP, you know, 10, 20 years after the electronics were put in, right? Like you've got this insane depth of things. Then you've got brand new stuff that someone coded 30 seconds ago. Right. Based on something that copy pasted off of, uh, you know, some uh, website. I don't remember the popular ones at the moment. Right. Like you've got this range of things. It's constantly changing. Like literally, oh, everyone likes to say inventory first. Well, the inventory at the beginning of the sentence in your enterprise is different than when I finished at the last word of the sentence because of how fast this stuff is changing. Cyber is really hard. You've got smart humans that are trying to attack this stuff and find new ways to do it. So that's part of it is that we have a big problem space. And then everybody's going and doing a land grab. And it's not like they're trying to plan, you know, know, thinking of like the gold rush days of of the the westward U.S. expansion. Nobody was planning the streets of San Francisco. They were just trying to grab a plot of land and see if they can discover gold. And then the smarter people were going in and, you know, getting ready to sell, you know, Levi's jeans and stuff like that. Right. But that still wasn't exactly a plan. And we're still sort of in that chaos of trying to figure out this massive space. You know, without just stepping back and saying, okay, this is big, this is hard. Let's go ahead and organize our approach to it. And it's been tried a few times, but it was all tried with the broken assumption, kind of pre-zero trust. Oh, it's okay. If it's on the network, it's it's safe, right? It's safe on the network. And that shortcutted a lot of stuff and allowed us to ignore a lot of that complexity. We just lived in that bubble. And then the bubble popped and we're like, uh-oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I think... As we went through the uh, forced technology revaluation that was our, our COVID experience, um, that broke so many different paradigms in terms of how companies thought about security. Uh, some of them are never going back. Some of them are trying to figure out how to put the toothpaste back in, it, in, in, in the uh, in the tube, and some are just sort of you know like there are there are some that I can tell you that I, I know from uh, from experience that they they're. They were good for it. They were. They knew what was coming. You know, they didn't know what was coming, but they knew that that trend was coming eventually, and they were getting ahead of it. But there aren't. that's not a lot of companies that, that were that ready. Um, the entire government sectors relied on people coming to the office, to their government desk, logging into their government computer on their government network. right? And, and it wasn't even like a laptop. It was with those, those big things we call towers. And, uh, and none of that stuff, like, oh, how do you prepare to send all your employees home? Like, well, uh, you, you don't. And I think the shift, it's, it's strange. The shift from many years ago was when I started was, um, you, you had a, a system in the back of their office somewhere. Then you had these cable long wires that would run and you had dumb terminals and everything happened centrally. But you could basically, any way you could run a cable, you'd be fine. Well, then we substituted cables for Wi-Fi and we substituted Wi-Fi for any kind of medium of access. And But that that model keeps getting out there. The, the thing that we forgot about was those dumb terminals, if you turn off the power, there was nothing on it. You could steal that thing and nothing goes with it. As we've moved in time, that hasn't carried. And I think the tech stack still largely um, as you worked in an office, you assumed that, as you said, right, that that the walls, the perimeter of that uh, that office, of that building, of that office space, uh, the way you defined your network would protect you. And then you went home and you're like, well, hold on. (laughs) There's an entire area of things we haven't thought about because we hadn't needed to. And so I think you know, when, when you didn't have time to sit there and pontificate and strategize, people just bought stuff and hope that it worked. Uh, How do we, how do we unpeel that? (laughs) Like, how do we, how do we fix that? Yeah. And then that's, that's actually what we're taking on, you know,
3: through the open group and through some of the Microsoft work I'm doing and kind of, you know, what showed up on that article there, right. Is let's start from the top. Let's assume all the things of today are true. Right. And let's start answering that question. What does a tool strategy look like when, You know, it's not going to be, I'm going to detect it with an IDS, IPS, and then block it at the firewall, and I'm done. That's not the cycle anymore, right? Right. It's they're attacking my endpoints wherever they are. I need detection, response, recovery, right? This is the same thing as like the access control stuff that started the whole zero trust thing, but it's more than just access control, it's everything. So, how do I do that on the endpoints, on the cloud apps, on all the cloud services? How do I make sure I do that? And even some of the stuff we kind of neglected in the past, which is, They got on one of my endpoints, they laterally traversed, they stole more creds and they did the sort of whatever you want to call it, domain dominance, you know, lateral traversal kind of thing. And they got to domain admin, enterprise admin, whatever the case may be. Like, you know, let's start looking at this thing as if it's an open network. Let's assume it's an open network. And then how do we build a tool strategy to do detection response recovery? On the stuff regardless of where it is and you know obviously you're always going to have the byod problem which is a pain because you don't have an agent et cetera, control over it there's always going to be caveats and things you have to solve but you've got to start with that philosophy of we're securing for the world we are we're not trying to preserve the old world and the old assumptions and then how do we then build to that? How do we take these tools, the the SIM, the data lake, which, you know, after someone tries to use a SIM as a data lake, they quickly realize and their price tells them it's time for a data lake, <laughs> right? Yeah, it got expensive. too expensive. <laughs> and then, okay, this is all great, but I'm, you know, why am I doing a custom detection of a common attack that everybody else is seeing, right? Like, why am I doing that? Why don't I just have a vendor do it once and they maintain it, they support, it, et cetera. So that's where the XDR fits in. And so like, let's take a look at these things as they are, as a sort of, you know, core nature of their technology and the physics that they they fit in and say, let's place them where they belong. You know, again, then on that spectrum, like you're, you're mentioning from raw to actionable, like, you know, this, this little bit of data tells me I need to start investigation. Now, this other little bit of data is one of 8 trillion and I don't really care, and it doesn't have any meaning to me, right? So let's let's start getting smart about looking at that and making sure we're di- tying processes, etc., to that.
2: How much of that? Uh, how, how much of this stuff? I feel like there's a bunch that's it's a higher level, right? Like the open groups that you're working with. Like I don't yep. want to say like what we see from NIST and stuff like that, but maybe something similar to that. How much of that stuff is there versus how much do we expect? pick a company, pick their CISO, like they're finding solutions to this stuff? Or is this more of the, uh, you know, I liken this to kind of like when I talk about researchers, right? You've got researchers that are out there actually doing legit research, right? I mean, you look at, you know, what they did initially with vehicles of finding out, look, what are really the issues with vehicles? And then you've got all the other people that are just taking that research and putting it into practice, right? Like, Yep. Most people that are testing websites, you're taking what's known about cross-site scripting or SQL injection, and you're putting it into practice to find that stuff. How much of that turns the CISO role into, I put the stuff into practice, but I'm not really here to set that level of strategy. You're strategizing, but you're not you're not solving that level of problem. You're saying, hey, somebody's already solved this level of problem. I'm here to help drive the implementation of solving that. And Yes, each implementation might be a little bit different. But we're running from a playbook here. We're not, you know, CISO at X, Y, Z is not the one coming up with, how, how do we solve this overall arching problem? I guess, kind of a weird roundabout. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, let, me, let me
3: take a stab at in answering it and see if I, if I got, <laughs> got the right angle. So uh, the way I look at the CISO role is I've been doing a lot of role-centric um, thinking about like these different problems and kind of trying to see what that enlightens. And it's been really interesting. But like, it really depends on how big your org is, right? Because if you've got a team of five, ten people as a CISO, you're going to be a lot more hands-on. You're going to be developing the strategy for your people, et cetera. If you've got a team of like two, three hundred people, you are setting the high-level uh, strategy in the direction, and you're spending a lot more time on business strategy interlink. And then your directors are going to be doing a lot more of the actual strategy forming that you then approve as a CISO. So a lot of it depends on kind of th- the the size of the organization, what resources you have to delegate. But I mean, ultimately CISO's job is to manage that, that magical intersection between business tech and security, right? They're the ones that sit at the nexus point of that. And they often have teams, strategists, deputies, et cetera, that help them manage that and execute on it, you know, execute from a business pr- perspective. Now they're gonna be setting high level strategy from like an analyst or, you know, line level manager, like first level manager. So, I mean, their job is to sort of bridge those worlds. And, you know, have a team and a staff that does that and sort of that, you know, making sure the risk and the strategy, um, the business strategy, technical strategy are all kind of connected and you're making the right investment decisions based on the organization's risk and priorities. And then you're informing the business as they make their strategy risks
2: and decisions. But they're not generating the typical outcome. like they're not creating the outcome list of, hey, here's the outcomes we need to go to. It's something else is driving I level what these guess, outcomes but then are, there right?
3: People should then resolve that. You're into, just there to implement the that. Things that make that happen. Here's the right. enabler of that, yeah. Right, like how do I get yeah.
2: these outcomes into my organization? But the outcomes have been defined for yeah. the most part outside of, like above that level.
3: Well, security outcomes, often the business doesn't know enough about it to even know what to ask for. And so it tends to be like a two-way conversation that generates that. Again, that's part of the purpose of the open group work is to be able to say, this is the composition from a capabilities view of a security org. Here's the things you should be promising and you can provide on an ongoing basis. And then work those into the business strategy and and work with the business folks to help their strategy teams understand those and figure out how to plan and execute to them.
1: So you guys, this is perfect because this has led me into... Uh, kind of the final question as we come up on time. Mark, I've, I've asked a bunch of people this, and I want your, uh, as usual, uh, typically thoughtful answer. When we think of SecOps and the SOC, mm-hmm. I am under the impression more and more that less and less companies should have their own SOC um, for two reasons. One, all the challenges we know about today, the economy, uh staffing issues right budgeting all those things but also now too from an expertise perspective right if is if, if what we're talking about right now holds even 70 80% across across the spectrum of, secure, of security organizations in the non-vendor world in the enterprise then, what we've got is a really big problem. <laughs> yep. In we have this, as the number of technologies grows, I'm going to RSA. I already know how many, like roughly how many new things there are going to be. The answer is a lot. Um, and they all do something just slightly different than the other guy who does basically the same thing, but with like one less feature or a tweak on that feature. <laughs> um, so, I'm looking at, you know, outside the Fortune 250, I think that may even be generous. Do you believe that a companies should be building their own socks still, and b what 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 to you is that that sort of key uh, parameter that says yes, build your own, no, don't build your own? So
3: I'll answer it as as much as I can, and I may not fully accept your framing. So the one thing okay. that um, so now like I'll- if you look at a purely roles perspective, like you know, and I, I don't think of it as SOC. I think of security operations. I, I keep sure. slash SOC on there just so that people have the familiar bridge of the world, but it's not a physical facility anymore. It's not a center, right? It is, uh-huh. it's a function, a, a team an out, an outcome. So the, the thing is, is that the organization needs to have at a minimum, like incident management and probably some sort of director or leadership role that can connect in, even if you do have outsourcing, because when you have some sort of, you know, Incident or something happen, you need someone with business context. that's an FTE that's inside, that's trusted, a full time employee that's trusted. Um, and so you need to, at a minimum, you always need some sort of oversight. And that's what where a lot of companies that outsource fall down. They think they're outsourcing the problem. No, you're outsourcing the execution of the solution, not the actual problem. They're still attacking your stuff on your network, creating risk for you, right? And so you've got to make sure that you have skin in the game at a minimum. So that's 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 my sort of min bar uh, range, and right. then. The, the reality is, is you have to look and say, OK, ultimately, you're trying to hire talent and talent wants to have a career. Talent wants to get paid. We all like getting paid. Right. Um, and if you're sitting in an organization that gets one major attack every two or three years from a ransomware gang, are your skills going to be sharp? Are you going to be hunting and finding nothing, etc.? So you're going to have some um, some top talent um, attraction challenges and so that's one of the factors you should be considering is, are you going to be targeted enough? Now, if I'm a, a global r- world recognized brand and or a financial services company, I'm going to get a whole lot of interesting people attacking me and my, my knives will stay sharp, right? Period. And so you have to kind of look at yourself as from a targeting perspective. And and am I going to be able to attract people in, you know, obviously also pay them, et cetera, because you need to have some of that depth, but you're always, you're always going to want some level of partnership with industry vendors, others outside of your organization, because you don't want to become just completely on your own, right? You need to have, whether it's through a threat intelligence function that's doing a lot of ISAC and exchange work and peer-to-peer groups and stuff like that, you have to be connected to the community, but you also have to have enough of a core capability that you can rely on. And whether that's someone you pay or hired in, I mean, it's it always comes down to it depends, but that that's kind of how I think about the space. Does that make sense? So
1: so maybe I did. Maybe my question was poorly worded because I'm kind of in a very similar uh, conclusion as you. I, the way I'm, the way I frame it is: look, you're always going to have some security operations function. You have to, right? That liaison, that let lead, that knows how the business runs. Uh, where the where the levers are, who to call, and, and that kind of thing. You're not going to do a and understands for enough that. to be able to judge the performance of the outsourcer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, yeah. Right. And is is even if you're say you're renting, you're you know doing a, doing an outsourced uh, actual sock security operations team. You have to know how that fits into your function, and that and yeah. that's. But what what I'm seeing is you know like a couple uh, one job ago, I had a conversation with a guy, and he was new in his role. And, uh, we'd already been doing some work for them. And, um, I offers that Hey, you know, um, you're new in this function. I said, you, I, we've been having this conversation about, um, supporting your security operations. He goes, Oh no, no, I've got a, I've got to, uh, you know, I'm going to buy on this, basically buy my way to I've got a big budget. Uh, I'm going to go hire all these people. I've got my roles defined. I'm going to have like 20 people. And I checked back in nine months later and he had hired three, um, mainly because a, his, uh, Dollar cost of uh, uh, of per employee was dramatically off, uh, and B they, they don't exist, and nope. so <laughs> you know it it just seems to be the way this is happening is that you want the liaisons into the business, you want the liaisons back into the community of experts in in our profession but you can't isolate yourself and, and you're right for all the reasons you mentioned, right? Um, continuous learning, staying sharp, blah, 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 blah. Like all those things are valid. And I, I think it's interesting where this discussion from a tools perspective uh, and, and, and strategy perspective collides with my current topic of, of uh, security operations is that yep. I think if you're going to be Outsourcing, co-sourcing, partnering with, however you want to word that, an external security operations function, you cannot be thinking tool-centric. You have to be thinking about function-centric or outcome-centric because those two will hammer at each other all day long.
3: Yep, and that's actually one of the things we do cover in that workshop is outsourcing considerations. If you do, you know, your, your threat hunting out, your investigation, your triage, your kind of tier one, tier two, tier three, use you know uh, traditional terminology, yeah. you know, all these various different functions, do you outsource the tools or not? Generally, you want to keep your own data big time. Um, um, you know, we kind of do a, a balanced uh, view of that. So, like, yeah, that, that's that's the thing is, is it's really hard to get it, especially if you haven't revamped your hiring processes and start looking beyond sort of the traditional things. Like I need someone that's already technical and already experienced not going to happen. How do you find the core (laughs) fundamental skills that you can build into it from someone that's done something in military law enforcement or whatever that has the right mindset. They just need to learn the specific tools and tech. Like you got to start thinking differently about that too. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to find talent out there, especially with the current broken approaches that are common practice. Unfortunately.
1: All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for because we're at the, uh, 44 minute mark and 45 minute mark. And, uh, I think we should probably stop at this point, but I, Mark conversations with you always can go for hours and hours. So, um, are you coming out to RSA? We see you out there. Uh, not this year, unfortunately. Um, I got an that's alternate desperate. session, but that did not make it past the cut. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't make the cut either. I had one on, uh, law uh, sorry illegal uh and, and uh, implications and, and insurance and stuff like that with my good buddy sean tuma we got rejected that's all right we're not cool um oh i i still i still have to go though. <laughs> it's important though anyway um the vendor palooza part is always fun just kind of seeing what what, what in the world is happening out there um uh, but anyway um thank you for uh, spending some time with us um what else do you have, uh, maybe coming up, or is there a part two to this article, or is there what? What is the oh, other? Yeah. there's, other uh, stuff there's that a you're more coming.
3: parts coming, starting to break down the different functions, and then how do the different tools enable them? And uh, so, yeah, definitely continuing along that vein. There's there's a bunch more to go. Like I said, what, I have 246 slides of content that uh, that I can sort of tease on out there. there uh, nice. People can sign up for the delivery, by the way, if they want to get that. So.
1: That would be a, where, where do people sign up for that? that that's uh, just
3: through Microsoft unified. So whether you have your customer okay. success account manager, CSAM or, or just your okay. Microsoft rep, look it up. Yeah.
1: Cool. 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 Uh, and the open group stuff, when is that? Uh... Uh, there isn't a specific
3: date on it. The commandments should be out fairly soon. We just finished all the internal change request process. So hopefully within, I'd say a couple months and then the reference model will be coming uh, after that. Well, we're just going through those change requests right now.
1: Man, I wish that stuff moved faster. I really do. We need that help yesterday. We're going as fast as we can, dude. Trust me. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and, and I, it's, it's yeah, it's it's not referencing and necessarily commenting on the, the the amount of work. It's because there's a, a truck ton of it. It's just all that stuff is evolutionary, and I feel like we just needed it like years ago. Hundred percent agree. James, get warm, man.
2: Yeah, I'm staying warm. It's actually raining right now, so it's. You got our rain from up. a couple
1: days ago then. Yeah. Uh,
2: fair <laughs> Slowly making it down here.
1: Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Mark, for joining the show. Appreciate your insights. You. Looking forward to more from you, uh, folks. Thank you for listening and or watching our videos. Uh, we do have a playlist on uh, YouTube. You can go check that out. It's in the uh, ID3 tag as well as the new website, dtsr.buzzsprout.com. Update your RSS feeders, please, uh, as soon as possible. And... Um, We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast with more great content. Cue the music
0: and we're out. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound DTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.